The CBF Podcast Conversation is presented to you by Fuller Seminary. Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry offers a practice-focused theological education. Learn from Fuller's seasoned scholar practitioners with online classes and apply what you're learning to your own context. Whatever your ministry goals, Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry will help you take the next step in your vocation. For more information, visit fuller.edu backslash M-A-T-M degree. That's fuller.edu backslash M-A-T-M degree. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support, starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Conversations. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship through interviews with people doing groundbreaking work in renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from ministers, authors, and practitioners from across the fellowship and beyond. This is Andy Hale. We are honored that you join us each week for Conversations That Matter. That's why in 2020, we've tried to pivot to make sure that we are covering the things that need to be talked about, like the plague of racism in America and how the church is responding to the COVID-19 crisis. We're also coming up on our 150th episode, which would not be possible without listeners like you engaging each week in the conversation. Don't forget that you can be a part of supporting the podcast while receiving some great benefits, such as joining an interview with an upcoming guest, books from authors interviewed, and a VIP experience at this summer's General Assembly. We want to thank William Johnson and Cindy Folendorf for their monthly support of the podcast. Check out how you can support at cbf.net backslash podcast support. And now, on to our conversation. This week's conversation is interviews done at CBF's online General Assembly recently at the CBF Environmental Stewardship Network meeting. We had a conversation about environmental racism and classism. Uh, the design of our, our time together this morning will first be a panel conversation with two special guests who I'll introduce shortly, a question and answer session with you and the panel guest, and some brief information from Sam Harrell of CBF Global. Um, if you'd like to stay connected um, with the network, we encourage you to join the network on Facebook, which is CBF Environmental Stewardship Network. So of uh, the many things that congregations are considering as they exist in 2020 is is not only the COVID-19 crisis and the ever-present plague of racism within America, but how the faith community relates to the environment around it. And we are not called just to be good stewards of a world entrusted to us. In fact, what if I told you the environmental devastation has a strong connection and long history of racism and classism in America? And for this, I want to introduce our two panel guests. With us this morning is Tina Spencer-Smith. Tina is the lay leader of Zion Hill Baptist Church in Atlanta 
an advisory council member of Georgia's Interfaith Power and Light. Uh, she also is a recent graduate of Candler School of Theology. We also have with us Kathy Smith, who serves as executive director of the Baptist Creation Care Initiative. She's also a former CBF field personnel. Tina and Kathy, thank you for joining the conversation. Uh, now let's start with having a better understanding of the semantics uh, we might be using in this conversation. Uh, Tina, when, when you use the term creation care, what does that mean to you? It, it means that uh, we are caring, taking care of, holding in responsibility, uh, the well-being and care of everything that our creator God has, has entrusted us with, that we are taking care of not just human bodies, but we are taking care of the air and the soil and the water and all of the created beings that we are entrusted with. Kathy, what about you? I think it's making a determined effort to recognize that we are a part of creation. We can't be separated from it. And creation is in our DNA. And in some cases, we have forgotten that. Care of creation means care of ourselves, but it means care of, like Tina said, the world out there, um, our air, our bodies, the people around us. Um, and it's part of our Baptist DNA. We get baptized in water. We take the Lord's Supper, which means bread and wine. The Holy Spirit is a dove. Um, care of creation, or viewed as a dove, excuse me. But care of creation means actually taking a moment to think about it and um, engage it, whatever aspect that may be for you or for your community. Now, Kathy, you recently wrote, we cannot continue to use our world's resources at our present rate of consumption if our children and grandchildren are going to be able to eat. If a few people are offended in an effort to get Christians to get off the fence and do something to change the future, then we must risk that offense. What are the hard and offensive conversations that need to be happening in our churches about environmental stewardship? The first one is climate crisis is real, and it is here now, and it affects America, and it affects people around the world, and people are dying. We need to talk about that. Um, it is not a myth. It is not a fabrication. People are dying. And the hardest conversation should be the easiest. People are causing the climate crisis. Um, that seems to be the hardest thing to get across, but people are causing this. We're not going to solve it. It's already here. We need to make changes so that what is going can be and is a bad situation that is killing people doesn't become an earth horrifying situation killing millions of people. Um, and to do that, we've got to change our habits, our buying habits, our driving habits, our flying habits, not just for a little while because of COVID, but forever. Um, we have to talk about this and give it time and space in our churches. 
that it, churches that are already filled with a million other things going on, but churches that are surrounded by communities that are affected by the environment, by the climate crisis. Um, this isn't an easy conversation because it's not going to be normal. We have no more normal. Uh, COVID just gave us a taste of this. Um, and it's tough to talk about and it's tough to give up the time needed to talk about it. Pastors must lead in this. Our seminaries must lead in this. Um, but I'm sorry to say the climate crisis is here. It is already done. We aren't going to solve this away. Um, we have to make adaptations and we have to help other people. And that means giving up even more. Yeah, the unique nature of having this conversation is that many of us might on this on this call might serve congregations that have a special interests when it comes to environmental devastation. So, uh, give an example. Um, I live in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Exxon Mobil is the primary uh, employer of this area. You know, so as I consider how I would have a conversation with my congregation, I have to keep in mind that uh, there are dozens upon dozens of people in my congregation who uh, either their livelihood or uh, their family's livelihood is dependent on um, the oil refinery and, and how um, that projects them forward. So, you know, what would you suggest would be some practical ways, keeping that type of situation in mind, how would you start that conversation uh, within a congregation? The first is you go back to the basics of the Bible. We have to, we have to go back and understand why we care for the world. Um, we don't start with the climate crisis. We start with reconnecting again in nature. Um, looking at Romans 1.20, you know, God's presence here. And how do we see him? And how do others see him? Start at the basics. Um, start with uh, pastors preaching, talking about this. Committees form. Start looking at your... Um, area around your church in your community every community such as baton rouge has different challenges and different opportunities we aren't we don't need to shut down the oil and gas community or in my part of the world it's coal we don't have to shut it down but we need to be more aware of it and start moving toward options and we can't do that if we don't have any idea what's going on in our area um, where the rivers are flowing, what animals, what people are most vulnerable. Louisiana is already having to move people because of rising sea levels and how to do that in a just way. But we've got to start the conversation. And so in my opinion, this conversation starts with the Bible. Go back to the Bible and then get outside in nature. Start having church services in nature, just like our church is doing now, and take the time. And all of those are sacrifices in a world with so much care and concern. It's going to take some sacrifice. Yeah, we moved to Louisiana two years ago. Uh, of course, we were presented with the option of buying flood insurance. And it was like, hmm, rising sea levels in Louisiana and <laughs> the Mississippi River that, uh, you know, has this 
man-made levy preventing it from flooding the town. Yes, I will spend that $300 a year on, on flood insurance. Yes. <laughs> now, turning to Tina, Tina, you recently wrote, uh, when we are aware of the injustices that contribute to the adverse health conditions that disproportionately affect African-American communities, we increase our efforts to fight against pollution. I wonder if you'll take us a little deeper here in what you're writing and, and the work that you've been doing. Thank you for that question, Andy. I, um, I do believe that environmental injustices and environmental racism, because they are structural, because it's structural racism, they are um, hidden injustices. They are abuses that as a community, as a black community, African-American community, we're just not necessarily aware of them they are, they fall within a blind spot for us. And it's because of the structural and entrenched racism that has long plagued this country. And it's not necessarily visible to us. And because of that, we, we become a part of the system. Um, and I believe that if we were aware, increasing the knowledge uh, increasing awareness, educating our community, we will take uh, better action and more action in, in alleviating some of the issues that we experience in our community. Now, in, in Baton Rouge, where I live, there is a, a region known as uh, Cancer Alley, and it's where uh, the petrochemical industry has taken over the sugarcane uh, industry. And residents in this area are predominantly black. And according to a study done by Ohio State University, uh, black Americans are twice as likely to be exposed to air pollution and more likely to be exposed to the most toxic pollution. Um, even African Americans with higher incomes are exposed to more toxic air than white Americans with lower incomes. And in this area in particular, there's an, it's nasty because there, it produces a, a microscopic airborne uh, particle known as uh, PM2.5, uh, which is uh, emitted from cars and power plants and other dirty uh, industries. Um, and, and they enter through the bloodstream, causing the lungs to be, become inflamed. Um, if exposed to pollution, um, inflammation as soon affects someone's cardiovascular system, um, causing cancer and all sorts of other issues within people's lives. So environmental racism is, is not about an act of racism, but practices and policies that intentionally and unintentionally have disproportionately uh, impacted the environment of the health of communities where minority populations reside. Um, Tina, this is just one example and one location of environmental racism that is replicated in many other places. I wonder, if you would broaden our understanding with other examples. Absolutely. One that readily comes to mind is the uh, Flint, Michigan uh, situation with the water and the impact that the unclean water that was knowingly unclean, that impact that had on that community of color, the health impacts, uh, the economic impacts. Uh, there are examples around Georgia Georgia has uh, one of the largest coal-fired plants in the country. And so the, um, the runoffs, the, the coal ash, all of that affects communities of color because when you, I, I'm very familiar with some of the studies that you, you've, uh, you've uh, shared with us, um, and there are others. Um, African-Americans tend to live closer to these coal-fired plants, closer to uh, the polluting plants, and so we're, we're impacted. Um, even there was a, 
a young girl who uh, passed away in London due to air pollution because of where she lived close to where trucks were, uh, large diesel trucks were entering and exiting. And she experienced asthma. And over time, over she was eight years old, but her short life, she, uh, she, was, she succumbed to the issues that she experienced, the health issues that she experienced from, from, the, uh, from the air pollution. Um, there are a, a number of cases and uh, it's very well documented that African-Americans and people of color are uh, experience, experience the burden. In fact, there was a recent study uh, by a group uh, and it was published in Science Daily that um, while whites consume more and pollute more, African-Americans and people of color experience the burden of those pollutions but they don't enjoy those benefits. So it's, 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 it's well-documented and it's global. Now in your research and in your work, you know, there's, there's a lot of hurdles uh, to overcome environmental racism and, and classism. What are some of the, what are some of the policies? What are some of the organizations? What are some of the corporations and uh, that come in the form of hurdles that, that we need to be aware of? Well, probably the most um, well-known and um, obvious one right now is the rollback of the current administration's power plan. And so um, with the rollback last year that impacted air pollution and the, uh, the emissions from uh, toxic, to the toxic emissions, I'm sorry, from uh, polluting plants. And because those plants are in our communities, they uh, have an inverse, adverse impact on us. So the, the regulations in terms of the air and the regulations in terms of the water, uh, there are organizations out there that are available to assist. Uh, there's Mom Cleans Clean Air Force. There's also, um, of course, you know, uh, <laughs> Interfaith Power and Light. And I serve on the advisory committee of Georgia Interfaith Power and Light. They're a local organization, nonprofit organization that works with faith-based organizations to assist them with uh, understanding some of the legislation, helping them to get involved. They're involved in lobbying as well and uh, helping you to educate your congregation. Um, so there are a number of organizations out there at our disposal um, that will allow us to, uh, to uh, step into the fight, step into the fight. This CBF podcast is presented to you by the Center for Congregational Health. At the Center, we help lay leaders, clergy, and congregations find ways to thrive in the midst of change. Our experience in highly trained consultants and coaches don't prescribe one-size-fits-all solutions. Instead, we work alongside you and take your unique congregation and ministry context seriously. We believe the wisdom for thriving comes from the leadership of the Spirit. We help create the spaces for congregations to hear and recognize that God-given wisdom. Please visit our website, healthychurch.org, to learn more about the center and find the help you need in order to thrive in ministry. Kathy, I wonder from your end and from your work, um, can you give us some examples of, of where you've seen environmental racism and classism? <laughs> Yeah, I have a, a prime example right up here in Virginia. Uh, there's a church in Virginia called Union Hill Baptist Church. 
And the pastor there, his name is uh, Pastor Wilson. And Pastor Wilson uh, found out that an energy company was going to build a pipeline and a compressor station right through the heart of his town, just a mile from his church. And the compressor station runs all the time. It's polluting, noise pollution, uh, air pollution. It's really horrible. And of course, this is a formal, a community of formerly enslaved people founded right after the Civil War. They have lived there for generations. There's a cemetery right next to where they wanted to put the compressor station. And... Um, why did the energy company do that? Because they thought that this community wouldn't have the resources to fight back. And financially, they're absolutely right. They don't have the resources to fight back. So they thought they could go in and pay them off and pay them to move. And the pastor, rightly so, said, no, we don't need to move. We don't have to move. And we shouldn't have to move. And so he got partners, Interfaith Power and Light and others to take this to the courts in Virginia. And at first, um, Virginia said, agreed with the pipeline. Well, then the pastor and his partners got some scientists involved and they did some environmental studies and said, no, this pipeline shouldn't go through there. It's not fair, it's not right, it's not needed. This case has gone all the way to the Supreme Court and it's still not resolved. The energy company has been given permission to put a pipeline through the Appalachian Mountains along with several others, but the fight continues on an environmental level. That is environmental racism. Because of where these people live, the corporation thought they could just do what they wanted and thought a little bit of money would take care of the situation. It's not fair, it's not right, and it shouldn't be happening. And because his pastor was vigilant, he was able to do something for his congregation and for the people in his community. Tina, uh, University Baptist Church where I serve is in the 70808 zip code of Baton Rouge. Um, that is the most expensive zip code to live in Baton Rouge. I don't live in 08 zip code. Uh, I can't afford to live here. But when I talk about uh, Cancer Alley, that's 30 minutes up the road. Uh, but it's amazing how the cost of living has changed. But I think about that the fact that while University Baptist Church is a multicultural, multiracial church, we are predominantly a white congregation. Um, what can the white church begin to do to think about the communities they might not directly live in, but can have um, partnerships with that are that are most affected by environmental devastation? Well, let me say, first of all, as you were speaking about zip codes, it has been said that your um, zip code determines the quality of health over your, your DNA. And so uh, that's a I'm not sure I, where I heard that, but it's a very powerful and relevant statement. Um, what can white churches do? Uh, number one, vote. Voting is uh, vote in favor of those, uh, those uh, candidates who, are, who, who favor 
uh, environmental, uh, environmental legislation that is uh, on behalf of all people, on behalf of uh, the, the people who are suffering. Uh, you can provide resources. Um, you can contribute. You can partner across the aisles, um, not necessarily stepping in to say, we know how to do it, but to share your knowledge and to uh, provide uh, information and education. I, as a Interfaith Power and Light, Georgia Interfaith Power and Light, it's a, a very diverse organization and uh, diverse in terms of, of course, it's multi-faith, so diverse in terms of faith, as well as ethnicity and color. And so partnering with those kinds of organizations and stepping up and being a voice, being a voice. Kathy, you alluded to this um, kind of in your opening uh, remarks, but I wonder if we could get real practical with this. What are, what are the pra- what's the practical role of the church in um, all of these practices uh, and finances and action in the community? You know, what can the church practically do um, in this conversation? With a Baptist church in so many communities and a church on every corner, the first thing they can do is listen. Get together in your community and listen. Listen and get partners. There are, you. so many churches try to go it alone. The first thing they need to do is listen. Take the time to listen. Take the time to talk about it. Um, We all know that churches can put on, you know, do solar power, do community gardens. But as far as I'm concerned, there's more out there that don't just do it for your church property. Get out there and do it for the marginalized in your community. Help them get solar power. Instead of putting it on your church building, put it on the building of a community building in your area. We've got to become, as Tina said, vote. Get out there and become, go to the the meetings of your town councils. Go to the community events. Listen to the candidates. Ask them questions. Become educated. All of these things, everyone, just every little thing can help, but we're beyond the little things. We need the major citywide, community-wide, nationwide things. And that means getting to know who is in your community and becoming an advocate. If you can't be an advocate, perhaps you can help your church with finances and gathering finances. If you can't do that, do the internet research. Everyone can do something in their community Be sure to plant the community gardens, put on the solar panels, turn off the lights, but let's get beyond that. We're we're way past needing needing that. We've got to start making differences Uh, and not just in the United States, but globally. This is a global problem and um, we've got to start talking about how this affects not, you know, people of color in this country but our United States policies and just life. Where do you send your recyclables? Where does your trash company send their recyclables? A lot of them go to poor developing countries overseas. They shouldn't have to do that. So let's, you know, we need to start rethinking everything. And a church can make a difference, just one church. 
can make a difference in their community. Tina, same question. What's the church's practical role in all of this? Well, I agree with um, a, a number of things that Kathy shared with us. Um, I, at my church, Sign Hill Baptist Church, which is located in South Fulton, Atlanta, and pastored by the Reverend Dr. Aaron L. Parker, our church, and I'll use that as, a, as an example, uh, I, Kathy said, listen, and I say, share and understand what your congregation knows and does not know. Number one, I think it starts at the executive level, at the pastoral level. There is power in the pulpit. And so I must say at our church, Dr. Parker has been uh, extremely supportive in engaging our church. And uh, we have, over the last couple of years, we have uh, established an environmental stewardship ministry. It's called Planet Preservers. And that ministry is responsible and charged by the pastor to uh, educate our community, our faith community on connecting faith and the environment. And so along with that comes raising the awareness and educating our congregation. Uh, I, as you know, conducted an ethnographic study at Zion Hill. And through that study, I was able to learn and understand that we do a great job of connecting the connecting our faith and environment. And we truly understand God's charge to us, care for creation, take care of creation and why. One of the things that I realized was there, there seemed to be a little bit of, uh, there was an opportunity for uh, education and increased knowledge was around environmental justice. Uh, about 22% of, of those who participated in the study were familiar with environmental justice. That meant 78% were not. So that kind of data allows you to understand how and where to, uh, how, how to bring forth the information for your church. We have uh, recognized Earth Day. And that's something we've done over the last two years we hadn't done before. So when you start to raise awareness, you start to bring things to the table and these things are uh, supported by the pastor, then the congregation will start to understand this is a part of who we are. This is a part of what, what God has called us to be and the fabric of our organization. So once you, once you at a church level do that, then you start to push that out beyond the walls of the church. And you've now created an extensive network where you are increasing, uh, increasing awareness as well as stewardship around creation. And one last thing, it's not just about stewardship. It's about God has called us to love one another. God has called us into justice for our fellow brothers and sisters. So it's about justice, it's about love, it's about stewardship and all of those values or theological values that come, as, as Kathy said, from the Bible. And so uh, the church can continue to uh, collaborate with the congregation and the community to put forth the message of not just creation care, but also of environmental justice so that we protect our brothers and sisters. Yeah, it's amazing how simple the theological conversation is when you really think about it, because Jesus broke it down to loving God and loving others in the same way we love ourselves. And I don't experience a lot of the things that other people in my town are experiencing. So if I, I truly love them, then I'm going to 
take action on that instead of staying complacent and apathetic in it. I wonder if you'll each briefly, uh, Kathy, we'll start with you. Tell us a little bit about, uh, you serve on the Board of Directors of Creation Justice Ministries, formerly uh, the National Council of Churches um, Eco-Justice Program. I can see why they changed the name. It's a little long. Um, what, what, what does this organization do and how can churches get involved in it? The uh, Creation Justice Ministries is formed out of the National Council of Churches, and we provide Earth Day resources for study, not just Earth Day, but Endangered Species Day, National Water Day, Marine Life Day, you name it. There are resources that pastors don't have to think all this up out of thin air. Go to this website, and there's all kinds of educational resources that and Earth Day doesn't have to be one day out of the year. There are litur liturgical resources. Um, it doesn't matter uh, how your church, you know, whether you follow the church calendar or not, you, there's help there. We also are a huge, uh, do a huge amount of advocacy work, not just um, on the local level, but at uh, the national level. And if you want to know what's going on there, there are ways that you can get involved. You can contact me. There are all of the emails of all of the people that are on the board, um, whether you're Baptist or not, um, are there and they welcome people writing them. Um, people will come in and get on the phone with you and talk to you and help you get started so that you don't feel like you're in this alone because it is an extra burden in some cases for some churches. Um, and so this is, is, a lot of times people just need the resources. And this is a huge place full of resources to help and all of it's free of charge. Don't have to pay a dime. Tina, you got a, a little bit into the work of Zion Hill Baptist Church, but also um, you work with Interfaith Power and Light. Uh, tell us a little bit more about the work that's being done by um, both your church and that organization. So at Zion Hill, we, um, as I mentioned, most of our work is done through our environmental stewardship ministry, which is Planet Preservers. And as a relatively new uh, organization, a new ministry at the church, uh, the, the ministry is focused right now on raising awareness uh, within the congregation and educating our congregation because that's where we see the need. So at every opportunity, uh, we are uh, communicating with our church base on uh, environmental care and environmental stewardship. Uh, in terms of Georgia Interfaith Power and Light, uh, an organization dear to me, <laughs> I mentioned a little bit earlier about some of the initiatives. Georgia Gipple is is fondly called. Gipple is the local chapter of the national organization Interfaith Power and Light, and uh, very similar to uh, Kathy's organization, it is a nonprofit. They're focused um, on uh, uh, not uh, interfaith. Uh, it's an interfaith organization, and they're focused on uh, working with faith-based organizations to help them to develop or even expand on their environmental care, environmental stewardship programs. They lobby, they advocate uh, for uh, 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 legislation. And uh, they actually have, as uh, Kathy mentioned, uh, Gipple has resources. So full templates in, in order to 
help churches to start churches, faith-based organizations to start environmental stewardship, uh, environmental stewardship uh, ministries within their congregations. And they can is, is pick up a phone, as Kathy said, is free. And um, they're at gipple.org. And uh, you can utilize their website for a ton of resources as well. We've got time for uh, probably for both of you to respond to one question from um, our guest here on the side. I had somebody send me a, a private message. They asked, um, let's talk about the election. Um, you know, at, from your perspective, um, how do people in, um, become more informed of uh, local, state, and national elections and how those people, um, you know, vying for, for seats and offices affect the environment? You know, so where, where do we go for that information? Okay, so I will say one of the things at Zion Hill that we do, we do encourage our member base to, to get out and vote. That is something that we, that is uh, a, a critical initiative um, at our church. I would say to uh, explore the ballot. Before you go vote, print your ballot and do the research on the candidates. Do the research on the uh, legislations that are on the ballot. So when you go in to vote, you are uh, educated, you understand what's going on. <clears throat> the, and the internet is a powerful tool. And so I, I would certainly say, uh, explore your ballot before you go vote, do your homework, understand who is running, understand the platform, what their position is, and do the legwork behind just what they say, but what you see that they're, what, what is their, uh, what is their, uh, history in Congress if, if it's an incumbent. So just, I would, I would say, certainly do your homework to know who is on the ballot, ballot and who you have the option to vote for. Hmm. Kathy? I, I agree with Tina 100%. You we just had a primary here in West Virginia. And without, with just a few clicks on the internet, I was able to pull up all of the candidates, many of them, had uh, there were there were sites where they had asked the candidates questions. What do you feel about the environment? What do you feel about environmental laws? Um, and these were on a local level. And here in West Virginia, it was many of them were about coal. So what do we do going forward? How do we handle this uh, very difficult question? Because so many jobs rely on it, um, and jobs have been lost. Health issues on the national level. It's not hard to find out. Um, Green New Deal is out there. People are talking about it. Many websites go into it, explain it. Um, and it does take a little bit of time. You have to, you have to find out how people feel uh, about not just the environment, but about health, about uh, uh, racism in America. Um, and you have to read uh, from everything from your city councils, your education, uh, the people that are running for the Board of Education, your governors, your local senators, your national senators and representatives. Um, so it's gonna take a, a few hours, take the time, take the time to just uh, get online. And it, like I said, it, it took a minute just to find some really good websites to dig into this for you. You don't even have to do it. Many times they've done it for you. Hmm. 
And uh, I would add to that, know that you can go uh, to, um, you know, open conversations that happen with your city councils. Um, if you're looking for an amazing example of that, uh, that happened in Baton Rouge last week with one of our residents who uh, went and shared his mind and so much wisdom with our city council, uh, even calling out one of the city council members that was actually doing online shopping instead of listening to people when they were coming in. And, and airing their grievances with the actions being done. Uh, I, I lied, we're gonna ask one more question because I can't ignore Stuart's question. Uh, Stuart asks, um, how do we overcome resistance among those who resist the notion that climate change and environmental protection are truly issues with religious and spiritual implications? Uh, Kathy, we'll start with you and Tina, you'll, you'll uh, cap us off here. Um, you don't start with climate change and environmental protection. Um, you start with the Christian values of love. You start with um, going back. That's why I start with creation care. Um, you have to get people to understand we're all connected. We all share the same air. We all share the same health. If, if nothing, this COVID has shown us that we all share a lot around the world. Start with the Bible. Start with caring for creation. The rest of this comes down to much easier. Um, you don't have to talk about climate change. Talk about why is it a little bit hotter? Why is it a lot hotter? Why are we having droughts? Why are people having to plant things differently? Ask the farmers if the situation is the same. It's not. It doesn't take but a minute. Every church community is, is being affected. They just have to start talking about it. Um, and I generally don't start with those conversations because if they don't get the spiritual and religious and biblical implications of care for creation, they will not get climate change and environmental protection and how it is a Christian issue because God said it was. Tina? Well, I, I have to be honest, Andy, in some ways, in some people, you're not going to change their mind. You're just not. Uh, environmental racism, environmental injustices occur for a reason. Um, everyone doesn't believe in climate change, but that doesn't mean you don't have the conversations. So I agree with Kathy that you must have the conversations. And in the Christian community, you have that conversation from the theological response of, and in my opinion, it's love, justice, and stewardship. And so you direct people to the Bible, you direct the Christians to the Bible, to those scriptures in Genesis and Psalm. They're all throughout the Bible. Uh, I, I, one of the scriptures that I love is the Good Samaritan story that talks about, you know, it focuses so much on the Good Samaritan, but I like to turn the story a little bit and focus on the, 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 uh, the beaten man or the beaten human that was there. And, and what has that person suffered? How has that person suffered? Look at that from a different perspective. Look at all the stories and the parables in the Bible and utilize them and, and, and meet people where they are and explain, explain the situation based on 
based on biblical principles and biblical stories. And I would say this, I, I just would not be me if I didn't say, you have to pray about it. Pray about what you are going to say to people because your message will not fall on welcome ears all the time. And if, it's, and if it does not, what did the Bible say? Shake the dust off your feet and keep moving. <laughs> and keep, but keep the conversation going because you must have the conversation. Well, Tina and Kathy, thank you for your prophetic voice and the good work of justice that you're doing. And thank you for making time to have this conversation with us. Well, that's it. That's our conversation. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites at fuller.edu and healthychurch.org. Check out cbf.net for information about our church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, chaplains, and much more. Oh, and uh, one more thing I don't think we've mentioned on the podcast before, but visit cbf.net backslash podcast support for ways that you can contribute to the CBF podcast conversations and get some pretty cool stuff in.